Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk and happy Mental Health Month. So if you were not aware, Mental Health Awareness Month is in May and has been observed in the United States since 1949. Every year during the month of May, individuals and organizations come together to raise awareness about mental health. Together we fight stigma, provide support, educate the public, and advocate for policies that support the millions of people in the United States affected by mental illness. So the fourth episode of this podcast, which I released May 11th, 2020, so almost three years ago, was entitled May is Mental Health Month. And before doing this episode, I actually went back to listen to this episode to ensure I wasn't covering the same thing. And it was really interesting for me to listen to one of my first episodes that were, was ever released. So first, if you have been here since the beginning, Thank you, because I definitely did not know what I was doing back then. Second, if after this episode, you decide to go back and listen to that episode, I'm just going to warn you, I sound like a 12-year-old child when I'm talking. I'm not sure why my voice was so high, um, but it was a distinct difference I noticed. Um, And third, in that episode, I said something about not sharing stats because that is boring, Um, but just forewarning, that is part of what I'm going to do for this episode Uh, today, especially since we have collectively gone through a lot over the past three years. So in that episode, so episode number four, May is Mental Health Month, I really talked about the differences between mental health and mental illness, as well as way to take care of your mental health. So if you don't mind listening to a newbie podcast or episode, go back and listen to that if you think that might be helpful. In this episode, however, I'm first going to talk about mental health trends in the form of statistics about mental health. Next, I'm going to speak on trends we have seen in the mental health field with mental health in general since the beginning of the pandemic. And then finally, I'm going to touch on the 2023 emerging trends in psychology as put out by the American Psychological Association. So really, I want this episode to be a variety of different quote-unquote trends that we see in mental health um, and have we and ha- that we have seen over the past few years so first mental health trend statistics so in October 2022 mental health America which is a large nonprofit organization released their the state of mental health in America survey which includes a deep dive into the prevalence of mental health and barriers to care Like with any research, there is a lag between when the data is collected and when the research is published. So this data was actually collected in 2020, thus we must be mindful when interpreting the numbers. But some of the key findings of the survey included that 21% of adults are currently 
experiencing a mental illness. So currently, as in at the time of the survey, which equates to over 50 million Americans, 15, one five of adults had a substance use disorder in the past year of which 93.5% did not receive treatment. And that is a starkingly high number. 4.8% of adults reported serious thoughts of suicide, which is over 12.1 million adults in the United States. However, for adults who identified with two or more races, this number increased to 11%, so over double. 16% of youth report suffering from at least one major depressive episode in the past year, which equates to over 2.7 million youth. 60% of youth with major depression do not receive mental health treatment. 55% of adults with mental illness receive no treatment, which equates to over 28 million individuals. 28% of adults with mental illness reported that they were not able to receive the treatment they needed, with the primary reason being they could not afford it. 11% of adults with mental illness are uninsured, which equates to over 5.5 million individuals. 23% of adults who reported experiencing 14 or more mentally unhealthy days each month were not able to see a doctor due to costs. 1 in 10 youth with private insurance do not have coverage for mental health or emotional difficulties. And finally, in the United States, there are 350 individuals for every mental health provider. And when I read that number, yes, not every single individual in the United States is going to be in therapy at once. But even if, say, half of the population was in therapy. That's 175 individuals for every mental health provider. And that would be assuming that mental health providers are evenly distributed across the United States, which we know they're not. So in more rural areas, there may be one or two mental health providers for the whole county versus a much more populated city such as Manhattan or LA may have a higher ratio. I don't actually know. I'm just making that up. But even if it was evenly distributed and only half of people were seeking mental health care, 175 individuals is way too many for any individual mental health provider to take care of. And then if we think of specialty training, um, that lessens the number of mental health professionals, et cetera. So in the survey, they also provided overall state rankings plus DC that were a combination of prevalence of mental illness and access to care based on 15 different measures. Higher ranks indicated lower prevalence of mental illness and higher rates of access to care, whereas lower rankings indicate higher prevalence of mental illness and lower rates of access to care. So the top five states um, coming in at number one was Wisconsin, followed by Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Delaware, and Connecticut. The lowest five states were Idaho, Alabama, Arizona, Oregon, and coming in last was Kansas. I won't go into all the results, but they then 
further broke down the charts into adult rankings, youth rankings, prevalence of mental illness, and access to care. And I will link the results of the survey in the show notes for those who are interested. It was a really interesting study to look at. And I think the overall takeaways, at least for me, is that the experience of mental health distress disorders or full-blown mental illness is not a rare occurrence in the United States. And yet we don't have access to correct supports for individuals who are struggling. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is more like mental health innovation and trends that we have seen over the past couple years. So although many people experience negative impacts on their mental health due to the pandemic, the pandemic was truly a catalyst for many positive changes in mental health that will likely continue this year and beyond. So the first thing I want to talk about is employee burnout. And I know I just said the pandemic was a catalyst for positive change in mental health. Obviously, burnout is not a positive thing um, within itself. However, we did see a dramatic increase in employee burnout during the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, which in turn prompted changes in employers when it comes to mental health. So by summer 2020, it became apparent that individuals were starting to experience emotional effects of isolation, social unrest, and unsustainable routine. Productivity levels were inconsistent, and many businesses were losing revenue, in addition to employees quitting or being laid off. Employee retention became a top issue for many businesses, and thus it became essential for employers to find additional resources to assist their employees with their burnout and in turn retain them. So since the beginning of the pandemic, nearly 40% of employers enhanced their mental health or well-being benefits. So this included counseling through employee assistance programs, also known as EAP, online therapy sessions through a telehealth provider, app-based solutions for mental health, meditation, sleep, and relaxation, on-site yoga, meditation, or mindfulness sessions, and mental health workshops. My hope for 2023 and beyond is that we continue to see this expansion of mental health and well-being at various jobs. I know my hospital system did expand some wellness benefits through health and wellness apps, and I would love to see that 40% increase that we have already seen be higher. I mean, in an ideal world, I would love it to be a hundred percent, but you know, 40, we're almost halfway there. But if we could get 60, 75% of employers really enhancing their mental health or well-being benefits and really taking care of their employees, mental health, we know that's going to have so many beneficial effects, increased productivity, higher job retention, people wanting to go to work, enjoying their jobs and things like that. So another trend we have seen since the beginning of the pandemic is trying to increase access to mental health providers. The demand for care has longstanding been greater than the number of mental health providers available, and the pandemic only increased this disparity. I mean, I just said a few minutes ago, there's a 1 to 350 ratio in the United States. So some health plans are taking action to increase the number of mental health providers and substance abuse providers in their network as well as help members find providers with available appointments and who are good fits to address their specific needs. So I'm just going to say that I may be 
pessimistic as a provider about this, but this is something that I hope is a trend that exceeds far beyond 2023 because currently insurance companies do not reimburse mental health providers, specifically therapists, at reasonable rates. Additionally, there are significant challenges with getting paneled with insurance companies, and then these barriers in combination with the little pay are reasons that so many therapists do not take insurance, which in turn makes therapy inaccessible to even more people. I do want to know, I am saying this as someone who does take insurance, but since I work for a hospital system, we have people that do my billing and coding um, and help providers get paneled. Like that is their job. And I'm also not talking negatively about those who only take self-pay because I totally understand that people have to make a living. And as someone who works for a hospital system, who has people that do the vast majority of my insurance for me, when I do have to work with insurance companies, the little bit that I do, it is really frustrating. There's a lot of paperwork, um, a lot of insurance companies coming back saying we don't cover that diagnostic code or they're only going to cover a certain number of sessions or since I work with individuals who have chronic illness, I have been denied coverage for individuals who are seeking therapy to help cope with their chronic illness because insurance companies say that it is not necessary. So like I said, I hope that health providers that insurance companies truly do work on getting more mental health providers in their network, but they're going to have to do this by reducing the red tape and increasing reimbursement rates. But I would love to see that. I actually know that many individuals in private practice who are only self-pay do so because of the barriers with insurance and they wish they could take insurance um, and not have to go through all that red tape be reimbursed at a rate that they can make a living off of, for lack of a better term. But we've seen this trend with certain health insurance companies trying to panel more people. So I hope it continues. Um, and I also hope more mental or more health companies increase their benefits for mental health coverage. Next, I want to talk about technology and mental health. So from 2019 to 2021, mental health apps increased by 54.6%, and it is estimated to continue double-digit growth to 2030. Many of these mental health apps are focused on solutions for stress, anxiety, and depression, and range from online therapy sessions to meditation, breathing exercises, therapy-like interventions, and more. Speaking of technology, online therapy also gained popularity during the pandemic. And I always say that, at least for me, one of the benefits of the pandemic has been that we, as mental health professionals, had to learn how to do teletherapy. Um, now, I'm not talking about online therapy platforms specifically, as those have been under fire for an abundance of issues here recently. Um, I also know that many people have found them helpful and more access accessible, so I'm not going to get into that, but I'm talking about teletherapy in general. So where you're doing therapy virtually, whether on your phone, on your computer, um, whether it be through a platform or a private practice, community mental health setting, just therapy that is virtual. 
So although many people have returned to in-person therapy, many therapists and clients alike have continued to do virtual sessions. For therapists, um, this reduces costs of overhead and can also expand their client reach to those who are not within driving distance, but are within their same state if you are in the United States um, or in a state that the therapist is licensed. For clients, this increases access to therapists within their state, minimizes drive time, can be done from anywhere, increases access for those with unreliable transportation, um, and for some individuals who have severe depression, anxiety, or chronic medical conditions, or any other medical condition or mental health condition really that may make it challenging for them to make it to in-person appointments, telehealth makes it more likely that they're able to come to therapy consistently. I truly believe that telehealth is here to stay. I know some people much prefer in-person, and that is absolutely your right to prefer that. Um, and there will always be therapists that are providing uh, sessions in person because there are therapists that prefer in-person over telehealth. I would definitely think that we will see teletherapy continue for years to come. And one of my hopes, this is not necessarily a trend that I have seen, um, but if you are in graduate school, please let me know. My hope is that graduate programs will start incorporating how to deliver telehealth services in their curriculums. With regard to technology, we are also seeing expansion of licenses become available to provide teletherapy sessions across state lines, which I think is so amazing. So SciPact, which is the Psychology Interjurisdictional Compact, is an interstate compact designed to facilitate the practice of telepsychology and the temporary in-person face-to-face practices of psychology across state boundaries. And this was actually started in 2015. So currently, there are 37 states that have enacted SIPACT. 35 of those are currently in effect. One has been enacted and is under further review, and that just happens to be my state of South Carolina. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but there was like an error on the bill that said Georgia, so now it's like under review again. I can't wait for the day that South Carolina gets it. Um, and then four more have active SIPAC legislation, but have not yet enacted SIPAC. So my hope is that in the next few years that we see this across all 50 states, which would be great for psychologists so that they can practice across state lines. The counseling compact is an interstate compact allowing professional counselors licensed and residing in a compacted member state to practice in other compact member states without the need for multiple licenses. There are currently 24 states that have enacted legislation and 15 states that have legislation pending. So applications for counseling compact privileges to practice are expected to open in early 2024, which I obviously have my degree in psychology. I'm a licensed psychologist. I know a number of licensed professional counselors and they are all super excited about this. Then on February 27th, 2023, the National Association of Social Workers released the Social Work Interstate Compact Model Bill, which will expand opportunities for social workers to provide services in multiple states. For this to be enacted, seven states must enact the bill before compact commission to, could be established. But once again, there is another licensure 
that possibly will be able to practice across state lines in the upcoming years. To my knowledge, and somebody please correct me on this if I am wrong, marriage and family therapists do not have an interstate compact in progress, but hopefully that will also be something we see in the future, especially if all other um, degrees and governing licensing boards do have the interstate compact. Expansion of telehealth across state lines is great because it increases access to care. It allows individuals to stay with their therapist if they move, go to college, or go on vacation. Yes, I did say vacation because a lot of people don't realize that how our licensures are currently done. I was going to say written, but if I have a client, so I am only licensed in South Carolina and my state is not part of SIPAC. So I can't practice in the SIPAC states yet. So if my client goes on vacation in Florida for two weeks, I cannot do teletherapy with them during that time because I am not licensed in Florida. We see this a lot with college students that have been working with their therapist, you know, throughout high school and then they move to college in another state can no longer see their therapist or even individuals that move a lot, um, for various reasons or travel for work. It can be really hard to consistently be able to see a therapist. Um, having an interstate compact allowing telehealth across line, state lines can also help regulate practices among professional licensees as each state currently has their own licensing and credentialing criteria. So the last trend I want to talk about that we have seen over the past few years and that I expect to continue in 2023 is reducing stigma around mental health. So the pandemic really shed light on how important talking about and prioritizing mental health is. And as a result, there has been an increased awareness and discussion of mental health, which in turn helps reduce stigma. People feel more comfortable acknowledging mental health issues, are more willing to talk about it, and are more willing to seek help. On social media, we have seen an influx of licensed mental health professionals, um, mental health advocates, and even advertisements for like online therapy or mental health apps. Thus, it is my hope that in 2023 and beyond, we continue to talk about mental health and reduce stigma around it. Because even though we are all doing a good job at it now, there still is a lot of stigma, especially in certain areas. As somebody that lives in the South, there is still a lot of stigma around mental health, um, still stigma around certain diagnoses, etc. And I hope that we can see a reduction in that stigma. So the last thing I want to highlight in this episode with regard to current mental health trends is the American Psychological Association's 11 emerging trends for 2023. So each year, the APA puts out emerging trends for psychologists that addresses what is ahead for psychologists and the field. So although these are specific to psychologists, I do think many, if not all, can be applied to other mental health professionals and mental health in general. So although I will be using the term psychologist when talking about these things, know that you can replace it with really any mental health professional. And I think these are all really good ideas as we move forward as a society and things that we should consider if we are mental health professionals in graduate school for mental health, mental health advocates, or just have an interest in it. So the first emerging trend is scientists reaching a wider audience. So psychologists, specifically researchers, are using technology to communicate psychological science to a wider audience. So often psychological research does not reach the public. And if it does, 
It is often in the form of a research paper that may not be accessible or comprehensible to everyone. Thus, psychologists are finding new ways to get research and clinical advice to those who need it. So a perfect example of this is the paper I shared in last week's episode by Forbin and colleagues that examines symptom overlap in mental health diagnoses. As I said in last week's episode, this paper hasn't been published yet, but it was shared on Twitter and people like myself have further shared the research of the paper on podcasts and other social media sites. With this wider reach, we see psychologists going on social media to share clinical advice and scientific findings with a broader audience, as well as podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So another emerging trend uh, for psychologists in 2023 is psychologists are taking aim at misinformation. One of my favorite things to do. As we all know, there is plenty of conspiracy theories and other forms of disinformation and misinformation that spread like wildfire on social media and in the mainstream media. Not only are psychologists using social media and other platforms to directly combat this misinformation, they're teaching people how to identify and analyze misinformation, conducting research aimed at finding the most effective anti-misinformation strategies, and efforts to teach kids critical thinking skills to better help them decipher what information is accurate and what is misinformation. Another trend that is extremely important is psychological research becomes more inclusive. So psychologists are challenging traditional thinking about their research, including how it is conducted and who it includes, as the push for more equitable research is changing the field. This includes making sure one's research questions are considered historically are considering historically marginalized groups and then the entire human experience, along with keeping in mind who is conducting the research and how it impacts study bias. So psychologists have a long standing history of being led by primarily white men and including mainly white study participants. So a 2021 analysis of articles published in six of the field's leading journals showed that 95% of all samples came from weird societies. So if you're not familiar with the acronym weird, it means Western education, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And this trend has unfortunately continued throughout the years. Psychology journals are also undergoing changes such as recognizing the need for diversity, equity, and inclusion in their scientific content, and are taking steps to remedy decades of deeply racist and prejudiced practice that leave out key voices. The field is also reevaluating how it views qualitative research, as it has been long considered less rigorous or robust than quantitative research. However, quantitative research can in fact be myopic and harm marginalized populations. Another area or trend that we see is EDI roles expanding. So the world is looking for leadership around equity, diversity, and inclusion, and psychologists are increasingly stepping into these roles. So after the social justice protests of 2020, many universities, businesses, and nonprofits shifted their focus to enhancing and deepening EDI roles. Although EDI roles do not require a psychology background, psychologists have a number of skills that are crucial for these roles, including conducting assessments, synthesizing data, and facilitating different conversations. 
Another trend that we're seeing is worker well-being is in demand. So as I mentioned earlier, the pandemic really shifted attitudes about employee mental health and psychologists are leading the charge to help businesses prioritize employee well-being. Historically, employees were encouraged to reduce their level of stress by taking advantage of company benefits such as health coverage for therapy or mindfulness seminars. However, the pandemic forced employers to pay more attention to the mental health of employees, as I already addressed, and the conditions in the work environment and how those conditions can either exacerbate or prevent mental health challenges. Further, due to the relative shortage of workers and robust job market, workers have more leverage than ever to demand that employers evolve by creating an environment that values their well-being. APA, so that's American Psychological Association's 2022 Work and Well-Being Survey found that 71% of workers reported that they believe their employers are more concerned about employees' mental health than in the past, and more than 80% agreed that how employers support mental health will be an important consideration for them when they look for future work. Another trend we see is efforts to improve children's mental health. So kids' mental health is in crisis, and psychologists are researching why they are struggling and what can be done to help them. We know the pandemic caused new challenges for kids and teens, leading to a mental health crisis in the United States as declared by the Surgeon General in 2022. However, in the 10 years leading up to the pandemic, feelings of persistent sadness, hopelessness, as well as suicidal thoughts and behaviors increased by about 40% among young people. Some things that may be contributing to worsening mental health of our youth include social isolation and academic disruption of the pandemic. There's also social media, uh, mass violence, natural disasters, political polarization, in addition to the normal ups and downs of childhood and adolescence. Thus, in addition to studying the biological, social, and structural contributors to the current situations, psychologists are developing and disseminating solutions to families, in schools, and at the state level, exploring ways to improve clinical training and capacity and working to restructure policies to support the most vulnerable children and teens. We also see um, another trend of partnerships with psychologists and other psychologists or psychologists and other professionals to accelerate progress. So psychologists are joining forces with other professions to tackle big societal problems from childhood mental health to police violence. These efforts include supporting refugees and victims of war, combating police violence, advocating for gun control, and fighting misinformation and disinformation, among others. To do this work, psychologists are partnering with other mental health and medical professionals, journalists, policymakers, and each other. There are partnerships between psychologists, like I just said, partnerships with nonprofit agencies, uh, partnerships in academia, and on public safety. So we're seeing these partnerships across the board um, and getting different perspectives, different views, and working together. I am biased because I work in a hospital, so I work in an interdisciplinary team. And although this is not exactly the same as the partnerships that I'm talking about here, 
there is so much value in working with individuals that have a common goal, but a different background and perspective than you. Because if I am only working with other psychologists, yeah, we might see things slightly different on certain things, but we have the same background and training. But if I'm having a conversation with a psychiatrist or a pediatrician or a PT, OT, speech therapist, they're going to have insights and perspectives that I would never think of because they have different training, outlooks, insights than I don't. So I love that psychologists and hopefully other mental health professionals are partnering with agencies and other non-mental health professionals with the common goal of tackling these larger societal problems that are impacting mental health. Another trend that psychologists are working towards is suicide prevention. And if you have listened to this podcast or followed me for any time, you know suicide prevention is near and dear to my heart. Suicide is what I researched all throughout grad school, published a number of papers, a book on it. Um, and so I love that we're still talking about this. So psychologists remain on the forefront of suicide prevention, serving as critical first responders, as well as other mental health professionals, and training non-psychologists to help meet the need. So historically, suicide was viewed as a symptom of mental illness, and patients were often sent to the emergency room at the first use of the word suicide. And that, to this day, is still probably one of the most frequently asked questions I get on social media it, from individuals that, if I disclose that I'm thinking about suicide to my therapist, will I be hospitalized? And I can't speak for everybody. Some therapists may still do that, but luckily, things are starting to change, and we are finding new ways to identify individuals at risk, address the full complexity of suicide, and enlist new sources of help. So after 15 years of steadily increasing rates, the overall number of suicides in the United States dropped 5% between 2018 and 2020. However, although the overall rate dropped, White men and women accounted for much of the decline, with the suicide rate dropping 3% for white men between 2019 and 2020, and the rate for white women dropping 20%. However, for individuals ages 10 to 34, rates were actually higher in 2020 than in 2019. And then in 2020, emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts increased 31% for adolescents aged 12 to 17. And for girls specifically, visits were almost 51% higher in 2019. Thus, the goal for psychologists, and I'm assuming other mental health professionals, is to lower the national suicide rate that is still very, very high. So this may include increasing screening and developing interventions that can help healthcare systems overcome their fears of being overwhelmed by the number of people who screen positive for suicidal ideation and behavior. Psychologists are also training the public in a CPR-like suicide prevention intervention and harnessing technology's power to provide support in the midst of a national shortage of mental health professionals. Another trend we are seeing in psychology is psychologists are exploring careers outside of academia. So with students feeling overwhelmed and faculty feeling unsupported and overworked, more psychologists are exploring alternate careers outside of academia. Conversations both online and in academia suggest that increasing numbers of graduate students and faculty are feeling similarly disenchanted by the academic career path and reevaluating whether their jobs are really worth the high cost to their personal well-being. 
Thus, they are less willing to continue in positions with oversized workloads, salaries that do not keep up with inflation, and flexible policies, which all ultimately have led to burnout. Now, I've mentioned this multiple times on different platforms, but my original goal was to go into academia when I went to get my PhD. Um, I did not not go into academia. I know that was a double negative because of the things listed here, but I will say when I was looking at jobs, um, even after I fell in love with clinical work and decided I wanted to do that, the pay disparity is very significant for those in academia, unless you get very, very big research grants. Um, and yeah, just the work environment, um, graduate programs and how graduate programs help or hurt students, mental health, all those things. So I didn't not go into academia because of these things, but as someone that considered academia, uh, full-time, I am now glad I didn't go into that because since I work for a hospital, I do have, um, an associate professorship at our medical school. So have the opportunity to be in an academic medical setting and do teaching without some of the other things that come with being in academia full-time. Another trend we are seeing in psychology for 2023 is venture capital funding for mental health. So new funding is focusing on mental health apps for children and teens, as well as platforms that incorporate coaching and artificial intelligence. So in 2020 and 2021, venture capital funding for mental health apps and related technologies was at an all-time high as a result of soaring mental health needs during the COVID-19 pandemic, a shift towards telehealth, and reduced stigma around mental health services. One area of new growth and innovation is apps and platforms geared to specific subpopulations, including youth, people of color and indigenous people, LGBTQ plus individuals, and people with serious mental illness. From another angle, funders appear increasingly interested in technologies that cover a broad spectrum of mental health problems rather than specific ones. So as I mentioned a little earlier, when I was talking about technology, we have definitely seen an increase in mental health apps, but most of them are like mindfulness or specifically targeted to stress or anxiety. On these apps, um, we often see the use of paraprofessional coaches as well as AI to deliver services. Thus, it's important for psychologists and other mental health professionals to get involved so that these interventions have uh, science-based practices to back them up, as well as a community of expert therapists behind these apps. And the last emerging trend for psychologists, according to the APA in 2023, is psychologists are rebranding the field. So psychologists are expanding the one-to-one -one therapy approach to strengthen psychological health across entire populations. Experts are finding innovative new ways to reach more people and take a more preventative approach by shifting away from the perception of psychology as the practice of diagnosing and treating mental health disorders and broadening the lens of behavioral health. There are a variety of different approaches to this, with the overall goal of creating a mental health system that includes multiple levels of care and multiple compact contact points and at moments of need, whether that be through social media, through community-based programs, school-based interventions, and efforts to address racism and discrimination. So if you are interested in diving more in to what psychologists are doing in 2023, I have also linked the article in the show notes. 
So really that is it for today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you learned a lot about the current state of mental health in the United States, the trends we have seen across mental health over the past few years, and emerging trends for psychologists and other mental health professionals in 2023. I know when I was prepping for this episode, it made me do a lot of reflection on where I have seen mental health and the field of psychology specifically as a psychologist go over the past couple years, but also where I want to see it go in the future. Um, I believe we are going to see more apps, social media use, actually looking at societal and systemic issues, which I have always said this, and I mean, this is a criticism of my field, but I feel like psychology in general does not do as good of a job as say social work at looking at you know broader issues societal based issues not that on an individual level we don't take those into consideration but in our training it's very individual specific so i'm glad to see some of these trends are really focused on more community level or looking at the systems and systemic level so thank you all for joining me for today's episode as always please rate review and subscribe i mentioned this a while back um, on another episode but one of my goals is to get 100 ratings across spotify and apple podcasts in 2023 i am currently at 65 i believe so if you like the podcast and want to leave a rating please do so as it helps the podcast grow and i will see you in next week's episode bye Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.